Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of the Beyond the Known podcast, our guest is Paul Schultz, president and CEO of Max Weiss Company. Paul, welcome to the program today. An honor to be here, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with a local celebrity in terms of marketing and a published author. So it's quite the opportunity for me to be here and have a conversation with you. Well, the pleasure is all mine, Paulie. I can assure you of that. So for our listeners who are not familiar with your organization, what do you do over at Max Weiss? Well, Max Weiss is a family-held business that's been around for 70-plus years. We like to say we are involved in shaping the skylines of every city in America. And by that, we mean that we've curved some product on the Bucks Arena, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, and the Raiders Stadium in Las Vegas, and other college and stadiums throughout the country. But we also do much more than that, which is we support the transportation industry, the truck industry, the railroad industry and the shipping industry and we also produce a number of parts that are related to the agriculture industry so we're quite a diverse industry but they has high profile sexy stuff so to speak that everybody knows and sees is in the sports arenas that we've been able to participate with our customers on so have you always been passionate about bending metal Or did this kind of develop later in life? I think it developed maybe mid-career. I started out uh, in a small uh, foreign-held company called Mark Hurd Aerial Surveys, which uh, they would cut holes in the Learjets and put a photographic camera on there. That was really my first job out of college. And then I moved on to the chemical industry and worked for a division of Phillips 66 for a few years, getting the big corporate picture and decided that the big corporate picture wasn't for me and an opportunity opened up in a stamping house in Minneapolis. And for those not familiar, I spent probably half my life in the third in South Dakota, a third in the Minneapolis, Minnesota area, and then a third of it here in Wisconsin. So it's been an interesting career and then eventually I've ended up in the rolling and bending industry. You had mentioned that the big corporate scene wasn't for you. Why? Uh, Just uh, the ability to make a difference wasn't there. It was a little more politics. I prefer the smaller business, the family-held business. It's much more dynamic, and you can be an impactful player. Uh, Your opinions are listened to, and you can follow through and see it happen. And sometimes in a larger corporation, particularly for me, you know, you were just a number, and uh, you, you, people didn't know, really know that you existed. And that's, I like to be known that I exist than being a corporate number. So that was important to me to, and it fit my personality. Maybe I didn't know that up front, but one usually finds their own level after a period of time and some exposure to different aspects. Now, I understand that you're the first non-family member to lead Max Weiss Company, How has that transition been? Has that been difficult or challenging in any way? Well, I think that I told my dad that, and he says, well, you know, maybe you've been preparing your whole life for that. So I guess I'm a a little bit of a late bloomer that way. But it was a challenge that I think is, as you know as well, that 
leading a family-held business has many different layers to it. In fact, it's more complex and dynamic than leading a larger organization or a publicly held uh, organization in that you not only have the corporation and its success to worry about, you have the uh, stakeholders' uh, interest to uh, be concerned with, and you have the family to be concerned with, and the family actually operates more on an emotional or personal level where the a corporation and sometimes the uh, stakeholders are operating more on a numbers basis. So my background is in accounting, black and white, yes or no. And the family, it's a much more a fluid, dynamic, emotional response. So it uh, makes it a little more interesting and uh, dynamic and challenging, and I wouldn't uh, change that. So I think that, you know, when you get to be named president in a family-held business, it's a sign of uh, there's a great deal of respect and trust on both sides there. Otherwise, it doesn't work for anyone. And so I viewed it as an honor and a privilege to be able to step into that role uh, to uh, continue to express the values of the family and the values of the organization. It might be a little bit different, but the sentiment is still there. The family values are there. And I'm, I'm hopefully that we're representing not only the Weiss family, but all the employees of Max Weiss in a manner that they would uh, and appreciate. So during your time at the helm of Max Weiss Company, I'm sure there's been several highs. I'm sure there's been a few lows now and then, maybe some tough days from time to time. What would you say, Paul, is your proudest accomplishment as president and CEO of this organization? I think it always boils down to people. Things are things, and and one should be proud of, say, acquiring new equipment or new technology to move the industry forward. But as I learned later in life, it's all about the people. Things happen because of the quality of people you have, and I've gotten my greatest enjoyment the last few years about... uh, developing employees, seeing them be successful. So uh, earlier in my career, I might have been more concerned about my acumen as a number cruncher, and uh, I didn't quite realize it's the how you impact other people's lives that is the most important and rewarding thing. And so I'm uh, the, the proudest moment is seeing that my coworkers develop into solid business persons to lead the organization into the future. Describe for us a little bit, if you can, the Max Weiss corporate culture. I know you put a lot of emphasis on that. That's something that's very important to you personally, and you've definitely spent your time at the helm cultivating that. So if you could tell us a little bit more about the Max Weiss corporate culture, and then also as a follow-up, how did you go about creating and enhancing that culture? Well, I think that it was in the life cycle of business is that we needed to evolve to a certain extent, and, and that included the ability to attract personnel of many different generations and to expose ourselves more to the outside world. And so as we evolved a little bit, we it's things like this where we're having our executives a little bit uh, get out and do a little more networking, do a little more speaking so that they develop as business people. We're also getting our production personnel out into trade shows and industry associations and seminars of that such. 
We're also putting in, uh, the Star Group has a wellness program. In fact, we're borrowing quite a few of your ideas uh, to put that into place. And I feel that we needed a broader reach, so we did things like more involved in the community. We are involved in several different charities now. That uh, And we picked the charities because our employees were involved with them or passionate about it. So we limited it to three to make an impact, but we uh, asked our employees what charities do they want to support. And that was, I think, gave us a little bit of more of a bonding in the community, uh, more people aware of us, more being the employer of choice. Uh, we also worked very hard on developing talent. You can't always go out and hire. That's like a baseball team. Sometimes they're successful by having players grow and something they sprinkle that with outside talent. And I felt maybe that was a good model for a small business. So we put in things, uh, was recommended by the staff to put in an educational program. We call it Max Academy. And that's taught by our experts in the area. They go through and they can demonstrate that they know uh, how to run a certain machine. They're certified that. And now they're instructors through our Max Academy, which is a 12-month program. And I think that's uh, eight to 10 sessions in there. And part of that is a personality profile assessment so that we know how to work with different personality types from the production standpoint. And the most favorite one of all is that there's a financial class in there, and I fib on that one a little bit, my, my, which I lead. That, so we try to give them a well-rounded uh, technical background, uh, how to work with your coworkers in the most effective manner, but also we are also an open book company and we've been that uh, for 15 years, but an open book to me means that we share information on a daily basis. Uh, the KPIs are reviewed and in time it isn't always the managers or the leads or the supervisors that are leading those discussions. It is the operators themselves that are uh, leading the dialogue. So. I, th I think that over the last three to five years, we put in a more empowered environment. Employees are more of a team environment. So we'll hire on uh, culture, their ambition, their work ethic, their desire to be in a family-held business, uh, to have an open communication environment. And we'll train them on the skills uh, through either Max Academy. One of the other things is the that we evolve is MMAC be the spark program, which is seventh and eighth graders come out and visit uh, the business. Cool part about that, uh, just stepping back and taking a look at it is, I think that it's uh, important to share that manufacturing is a career with our young people and that it's not a, it's a clean high tech business, but it also perhaps the most gratifying thing to me was that we had six or seven stations throughout the shop, and it was the operators talking to the students, seeing the smiles not only on the students' face, but on the operators' face with their ability to impart the importance and the excitement that they feel about building the skylines of America and how they do it. And so I think our entire company has grown in a number of different ways with sharing with the students, with our more involved with Second Chance Partners, or GPS, I think it's called now, Job Corps. Uh, so we've had a number of students involved, apprenticeships, internships, Max Academy, as well as the community involvement. So I think that 
you know, that gives us a broader perspective, brands the company a little bit out there in terms of who we are. If I say Max Weiss Company, you know, it's not like Northwestern Mutual. So we've got to get out there and maybe more so a couple months ago when there was 3% or less unemployment, uh, we've been attacking the marketplace in different ways uh, through some of the things that I mentioned, but it takes a few years to get that ball rolling. You don't snap your fingers on some of this stuff and poof, it's there automatically. It's a concentrated effort. It's uh, selling your leadership team on that. It's getting them to take the ball and run with it. So one of the more rewarding things, which we alluded to earlier, was seeing that after we've agreed that some of these objectives are ones that we should pursue, it's the growth of the individuals that are now running with the ball. And I just kind of say, go to it. So when we look back on your career, I mean, you're a very well-accomplished executive. In fact, you have more than 30 years in an executive leadership capacity. If I were to ask you to take those 30 years of executive leadership, what you experienced, what you've learned along the way, what would you say are two or three of the greatest lessons you've learned during that time of your career? Well, I think that what I've enjoyed is the family aspect of business. I've enjoyed getting to know each of the families that I've worked for over the last 30 years, being part of their lives, and not only on the business level, but the personal level. I was very fortunate early on in my 30s that I worked for several good or excellent families that saw the bigger picture, allowed me to get involved in that, to get to know the families, to how, what their thinking process was, be invited to some of the their personal events. So it was like being a member of the family. So you were all that much more motivated to help them be successful. I think some of the lessons along the way is to make sure you speak your mind, to, to read the faces of uh, your personnel a little bit. It took me a while to learn the communication aspects of things, being a number cruncher. Uh, the numbers were the numbers and that's it. It's the end of the story. There's nothing else to talk about. And not everybody has the same level of understanding. I think over the last, you know, 20 years or so, I've gotten better at communicating financial aspects of stuff, tying that to the um, business aspects that make sense so we can take those numbers and move forward. I also think it's good to have plans out there, but make them rather straightforward and clear and not have a lot of KPIs out there, put four or five out there, set some bigger goals. I think another thing that I've learned recently, you know, the old hierarchy structure of there's a president and a vice president and all the structure. I think some of the, uh, my peers are talking more about having a visionary and an integrator. And I think it's important uh, that the visionary set that two or three year goals and objectives out there. What, who do we really want to be? What do we really want to look at? And then start providing the tools to your leadership team and to the entire organization uh, to get there. So I think that's an important role. It's a lesson that I've learned through the generation, not generations, but decades there. Like I said early on, I was more concerned about the absolute accuracy of numbers. And I've kind of walked away from that a little bit. And it's more about that people understand the trends of what the numbers mean and to spend the time to dialogue with those people. And sometimes you got to call a bad opportunity a bad opportunity. I think early on I may have sure that we're going to win. 
sometimes you have to recognize that one of the paths that you've chosen is not the ideal path and to, to be able to step back and take a look at that. It's maybe easier now with the 30, 40 years of experience or being president because you have that opportunity to, to step back. But I've, I've learned that's an invaluable tool to be able to step back. And one more thing before I kind of long-winded here, I think that's extremely important for anyone that has the opportunity to run a business or to run a family business is that one needs to have some uh, personal coaches or mentors that aren't necessarily tied to the business. I found it invaluable over the last few years to have personal coaches that guide me or if I'm having a bad day, I've got someone to uh, put perspective back where I might have lost it a little bit uh, in terms of perspective or the vision. So I think that, uh, and I would encourage anyone that wants to be president or aspires to that, that, that develop your own personal network of coaches or mentors or whatever you choose to do. They're both a little bit different in their aspect, but I think it's important to do that and to be a part of another item that's helped me a lot is being part of the MMA CEOs of growing businesses. Their CEO advice has been invaluable and they belong to several other organizations where you've just, it gives you perspective. It's sometimes lonely at the top and you can't necessarily share all of your doubts I found out uh, or believe that people want a leader. They want to know that their jobs are secure. They want to know that there's a sense of direction, and they want to know that their leader's capable of delivering that. And I spend a great deal of my time being cheerleader, coaching, mentoring, creating a dialogue on where we're going to go. The fact that I've got the white hair now instead of my long brown mane that I have a little bit of credibility by the, the, the number of white hairs that I have that I've been there, done that. This is not a, a, this is a problem that we will overcome. And we have a plan to overcome it, and we're going to go create a winning environment for the, the family, our stakeholders, and, and the corporation itself. So let's say you're given a keynote speech, and in the room you have 200 C-suite executives. You wrap up your speech... And before you leave, you say, okay, everybody, I'm going to leave you with one question. I want you to ponder this question and think long and hard about your answer. What would that question be that you leave that C-suite executive audience with? I think that's a good question. It's a tough one. I think that I would ask them to think about how they are impacting their organization. I think that when you're the CEO of an organization, all eyes are on you that you have a bigger microphone than everyone else does. When you walk into a room, all eyes are usually on you or people looking at whether you're slouching that day or standing erect or got a smile on your face. So I think it's important how you present yourself to, the, to your personnel because they're following your, your lead. They're basing their security on your leadership to a great extent. And I would always tell the, my fellow CEOs, just be mindful of how you present yourself and uh, I've always tried to present myself as a positive person look for the silver lining give the troops confidence to go out a win and uh, once they are on the path step aside and let them run with the ball my job is not to do my job is to lead and to coach and to mentor and be a positive cheerleader for the troops so I would leave them with that just uh, 
be aware that you're impacting a number of lives and they're reading every move that you make. Obviously, it can be lonely at the top, as you have already stated, to be president and CEO of a company like Max Weiss, to some degree, certainly is not without its perks, its glamour. But on the other side, if you're talking to a group of young professionals and they're wondering whether or not they aspire to a position like yours, they're thinking, ah, oh, the stress, the tough decisions, the necessary to, you know, being necessary from time to time to, to fire people, to make decisions that are not popular with an organization. I mean, people can focus on the tough aspects of being an executive leader or in decision-making authority. But if you were to try to tell them, no, no, this is why you should, despite all of that, this is why you should aspire for a position like this. This is why you should aspire to have a seat at the table like this. What would you tell them? Well, for, I can only tell them how, what uh, I believe others might uh, look at things differently. For me, it was never about the money. It was never necessarily about the prestige. To me, it and I was a late bloomer to this thing because it's not where I necessarily started out to be. But in, as you go through life, I think that you want to make sure that you've had an impact. And I believe that being the leader of the, an organization is a second only to being owner, which that you have the ability as the leader of that organization, as a visionary for that organization to impact many lives. And it's just not the, the personnel in that organization. I think there's, what, seven degrees of separation or six or whatever they say that you can have influence beyond your organization. So I think that's the reason to aspire to that is that there are always tough decisions. There's tough decisions uh, on how to weld that part. There's tough decisions in your personal family. There's always going to be tough decisions, and you can either run away and let other people make those decisions, or you can get involved either through charities or community involvement or through being a leader at, at your place of business whether you have the title of president or not, each of us are, is a leader or thought leader or has life experiences to share. So each of us in our own way in an empowered organization or an open book organization is making decisions, maybe not the final decision, but I think that it's the, the ability to impact people's lives in a positive ways outweighs any negative days that I've ever had. And the things that I remember are, the positive impact that uh, where people have shared their lives with me or given me the opportunity or opened that door, which I am always grateful for, from my parents to the business executives that saw something in a young man that was had some growing up to do to do that, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I think it's also when people do that, one also has the responsibility to, I like to call it play it forward. I think the correct term is to pay it forward, but I like the word play better. I think that when someone opens a door for you, you have a responsibility also to open doors for others. And for those of us that have that opportunity, it's one of the best feelings you can have. So who would you say were the biggest role models in your life? And what specifically did you learn from those folks? Well, I go back to the earlier days. It's uh, the first time is, is the one that you remember most. When I was in Minneapolis, working in a metal uh, stamping or metal bending business. I had a couple executives or a couple families that was bought and sold a few times that took me under the, their wing, involved me in the family, 
and open that door for me. One of the more memorable learning experiences that one of the first executives, the family, uh, the owner, CEO had developed inoperable lung cancer. And it was, and I could see he was getting sick, but it was the moment that I grew a lot is when he came to me and says, I need you to run the place for me, Paul, because I'm going to be away and I've got to beat this thing, which he did for a number of years afterwards. So I am grateful that they saw enough in me to give me the keys to the car when I was in my early 30s. Uh, the second family that helped me a lot is that eventually that business was sold because of the reasons that I just said. And I had another excellent family take over and uh, name me executive vice president. Uh, and p- after we got acquainted a little bit, he had a son that was uh, graduating from college and needed uh, a little mentoring. So he came to me and said, you know, as a father and the owner of this business, it's not good for me to treat my uh, son special. Somebody else has to take the ball and run with it. Paul, I'd like you to, to mentor and coach my son and to be a business executive and get his career started. And that was just a, an honor beyond belief when uh, someone asked you to, to take their child and to develop them and be the big brother. And he says, it's, it's your ball game. You call it how you want to. I'm not going to interfere at all. I might have you over to the house and we might have lunch and we might chit chat, but I am not going to tell you what to do, how to do it. I'm giving you some raw material to work with and do your best. I'm going to stay out of your way. And so that was quite a, I didn't quite realize how privileged and honored I, that, that that was um, to be able to be asked to not only the first case step up and be president when the family was, had become ill and her owner ill and the second one was the challenge to coach and mentor uh, the owner's son without interference without micromanaging in in the process so those are both uh, seminal moments in my career in terms of shaping how I look at things and it also maybe drives me a little bit here at the end of the career to be able to pass that character or trait along or the desire to lead the desire to promote others, to give them the opportunity. As I've said throughout a lot of this speech, I think that's uh, one of the most uh, exciting aspects of things, and most challenging and most rewarding. And uh, when I retire, it'll be the things that I remember most is those people that I had some impact in their lives. So you've certainly had your share of good days as an executive leader, but I have no doubt that you've also had your share of tough days. So what would you say was the worst day of your professional career? I think it was several years. Like I said, you don't want to poke the IRS in the eye. It's a, I had a, the company was underperforming a little bit. I took some aggressive stances, and, and the, the IRS didn't like that. And I, saved, I helped save the company, but the IRS decided that they weren't very happy with that, and they were pursuing me aggressively in terms of uh, punishment, and the corporation was just sold in between when they, before I did that with one company, was bought by someone else later on, so the sole man left standing, and it was not a pleasant experience, but eventually it's Paul Schultz 1, IRS 0, to put a positive spin on it, but that was a tough time. Like I said, the business was just sold. I was uncertain of my standing. I just got married. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I had a lot of pressure on me, let alone the IRS chasing me around a little bit. So so for <laughs> for individuals listening to this interview right now that might be going through their own tough time, how did you get through yours and what advice would you give to C-suite executives that are enduring a difficult season right now? Well, I think that it's part of it has to do with who they are and each of us will handle that a little bit differently. I think that when you ultimately, I think it all boils down to, you know, we talked a lot about the personnel and that type of things, but when it comes down to making decisions, sometimes you have to take the emotion out of it and look and see what the numbers are really telling you. And that clarifies all the emotional tug of war. And I also mentioned previously that I think it's important to have some personal time, some coaches or mentors on the side. And so getting through that was having some friends that weren't associated with a business or some coaches that weren't associated with a business that says it's not as bad as you think it is. You know, you'll get through this. Oh, I've experienced that's nothing. Let me tell you about what happened to me the other day. And so I think it's just a matter of perspective. And when you're in the middle of a fight or the middle of a change or the middle of a transition, whatever that may be from acquiring another business to selling the business to making major personnel decisions, it's look to the numbers, look to the trends, and have some associates that can guide you a little bit on the outside. And I think usually you can get through it that way. When you're in the middle of the fight, it looks like every little molehill is a mountain or that you can't get over. And it's sometimes easy to lose perspective, but someone always has it worse. Someone's always had larger struggles and they've all, all gotten through it. So it's just a matter of keeping things in perspective, keeping, like I said, coaches and counselors and friends just don't uh, devote your entire life to the business. There's outside perspective on that stuff. So in that t particular situation, I had some uh, good friends on the outside that had business experience to walk me through that. And then later in life, I made sure that when I was in executive position that I was part of a professional group that had uh, life experiences and business experiences that they could share. And that's been very helpful to me throughout, and I would highly recommend all uh, executives or business leaders that have some type of network or some type of release out there to maintain perspective. So I believe one of the most precious commodities we have is time. You only have a finite amount of it. Once you lose it or give it up, you can never give it back or receive any additional time. At some point, all of our time on earth will be passed. So when Paul, when your time on earth is through, what do you want your legacy to be? Well, I think that I got one year left on the career, so that's going to be another uh, milestone there. And I look forward to seeing where the new leadership takes that company. I would, like I said earlier, I would like to be remembered for helping people along the way. I would like to, I'm proud of my children and their accomplishments. So I think as a parent, it's always your legacy is, is on a personal basis is your children and how they, not necessarily what they do, but the type of people that they are or will become. So I'm, that will be my legacy, that my family, the friends that we've made, and the people that we've helped along their journey in business and life. Well said, sir. Before we let you off the hot seat here at the Beyond the Known podcast, we're going to turn the temperature up just a little bit. 
Now that we've had a chance to get to know you professionally and to some degree personally, we like to end from time to time during our lightning round. So what we'd like to do is just kind of throw a couple of quick questions out at you here, get us to see a different side of Paul Schultz. And again, it's called the lightning round because we don't need a whole lot of explanation. So you can elaborate a little bit, but the purpose of this is to keep this relatively brief and to the point. Little silly, but again, you got to laugh your way through life from time to time. So question the first, Paul Schultz, if you could be a member of any fictional family, who would it be and why? Oh, I think uh, Star Trek, you know, with the beyond the known here is maybe a tie in that way, but I think it's just going out there where no one else has been before. Well, we are certainly out of this world here at the Star Group, needless to say. All right, well done. You notice I got that PR plug in there for you. Uh, Well done, yes. If I ever need a sidekick, I know who I'm going to be speaking with. All right, question two. If you had a time machine and could go back in time, to what period of life would you go and why? I think I'm fascinated by the early 1900s, between 1910 and through the roaring 20s. I just think that's time of growth and experiences and everything's coming into play for the first time, not the first time, but so I think between 1910 and 1925 or so. Well, that's nice too, because in 1910, you were 15 years old. So it's nice to relive your youth again. I'll get even with you sooner or later here. I love this guy. I can kid like that. The last question that I would say is, who is the most famous person outside of me that you've met? (laughs) Uh, I uh, I don't know if I've ever met anybody totally famous, but I haven't met any presidents. Known a few people that run for the governor of South Dakota, so maybe that's the most famous one that uh, close call on uh, having a friend named being the governor of South Dakota. Paul Schultz doesn't get out a whole lot. We got to change that yet, man. Uh, When I retire, I'm going to get out and do some traveling around the world. So it's just, uh, we'll do it shortly here. Excellent. Well, I'll tell you. So again, we were joined by Paul Schultz, the president and CEO of Max Weiss Company. Paul, it's been a blessing to have you on the program. It's been good to get to know you over the past couple of years. And thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us in studio today. Well, I appreciate it, Paul. And thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, Check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.